Welcome to the RSP Campus to Canton podcast. Joining me, as always, is Felix Sharp. Sharp review on X, or Twitter if you don't know what X is still. Um, and, of course, I'm Matt Waldman. It's always a pleasure to have you guys join us for this show today. We're going to talk about a couple of college storylines that we should look out for for this week. Also, we're going to talk about some college football sleepers, players under the radar that maybe that you know have a shot to emerge this year. Then we're going to talk a little bit about NFL. You know, preseason things that we notice that, that get analysts excited that may be mirages, but may also be uh, we'll call them the o- the oasis, the true oasis. You know, kind of parsing the signal from the noise, so to speak. And then we're each going to give five college prospects who we were over the moon about at some point, you know, and they did or didn't meet expectations. We'll probably give a mix. Each of us will give a mix of guys that disappointed and guys that, you know, that the the excitement was validated. Um, But as always, you know, you should check out campustocanton.com. This is an opportunity for you to play, you know, in a league where you've got a college side and an NFL side, your college players migrate over to the NFL when they become draft eligible and get picked by NFL teams or signed by NFL teams. It's a really exciting way to play. It's a great way to also get better in your redraft or dynasty leagues because you're going to know all about these players from the jump, from like them being high school, high-end high school prospects. So get over to campusdecanton.com. Um, you're going to have an awesome experience over there with those guys. It's a fast-growing format. And, uh, you know, I'm not thinking taglines right now because I always usually give the tagline. But 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 today we'll just say that, you know, don't miss out. You know, you know the deal. You know what's good. Well, here, here's the tagline. This is going to be a long tagline, but... Um... Uh, Matt, you know, during our end season, we've provided some additional content to our NIL subscribers. That includes a show from yours truly, Mr. Waldman. And we just got done recording that show. So we talked a little bit um, about Travion Henderson. Uh, and that led into a conversation about Blake Quorum and Donovan Edwards and, you know, well, where they should be from a value perspective. So I'm really excited. Um, we just added uh, a couple of shows to our NIL subscribers, including yours. I can't wait to get the feedback. It's not even been downloaded and uploaded to our NIL uh, podcast channel. But, um, no, the, this season, as a part of uh, uh, our offerings, Mr. Waldman's doing a show. And it, the first one was great. I'm the only one who's heard it so far. But I think that we're going to get some good feedback from that one. Yeah, absolutely. should be a lot of fun. And, and you know, let's get this rolling with – you know, what are some points that people should be looking for with the with the season underway? Yeah, well, I gave, you know, I think last year I came on and you had, Mr. Waldman, you had to tell me, all right, we're not talking about Anthony Richardson this time because all I wanted to talk about was Anthony Richardson. <laughs> uh, this season, this season, you know, some of the main storylines that I mentioned on the last show are uh, the Ohio State and um, Alabama quarterback rooms. Now, starters have been announced in both of those rooms now it's uh uh Jalen Milrow at Alabama and it's Kyle McCord at Ohio State I think looking at week one Ohio State taking on Indiana um Kyle McCord was shaky in the spring game not the the crisp and um high-flying Ohio State offense that we're used to we know that Devin Brown is a gunslinger in his own right um you know somebody one of these players who's going to the botch snap is going to roll around and hit the ground. He's going to pick it up and find somebody downfield and, and, and throw it down and throw it downfield. Uh, just a lot of moxie. It's been reported that Devin Brown is going to play in this game. So as far as week one storylines, you have to watch uh, how this, this um, quarterback uh, ongoing battle plays out. It, I don't, it's not clear if Kyle McCord is just the starter from here on out or if the battle is continuing, because Jim Harbaugh did this last year. He did it last year with J.J. McCarthy and uh, Cade McNamara at Michigan, where McNamara started the first game of the season, McCarthy started the second game of the season, and then they determined to start her thereafter. So it's not it's not clear, you know, how much lease Kyle McCord has, but Ohio State takes on Indiana. I want to see um, how that plays out. Uh, Let me ask you a question about that. Um, 
you know, with Ohio State, do they have the? It seems like they have the defense to be able to withstand what would be a, a quarterback comp- competition in season, early in the season. Is am I am I accurate enough to state that that there's some room for errors there to say you know listen let's let let's give some guys a sh- let's give Brown a little bit of a shot or give him a chance to to observe a little bit and then we'll have you know bring him in for series or packages and if there's you know McCord doesn't look good or Brown doesn't have some bad moments we can handle that in theory do you think that that's they're thinking with this or or is it more of we have to figure out who our quarterback is so that when we get into the thick of the schedule that um that we'll be ready yeah it's a really good question so if i remember ohio state's schedule it's uh indiana and then i think they play youngstown state in another g5 school and then they have notre dame so i think that it's going to be this first three weeks of the season where they get it sorted out before they take on uh, Notre Dame from a matchup from from last year earlier in the season. So um, Ohio State should be able to compete in their first three matchups, you know, without they're going to be, you know, 15, 16 point favorites in all of those games. That fourth game is is the is the first test. So who is the starter in that game probably matters more than who's the starter in week one against Indiana great that's that makes sense and with sam hartman quarterbacking notre dame you may not have a superstar there but you have a a you know in college terms a grizzled veteran who doesn't make a lot of mistakes from a college game standpoint who's going to manage this offense so hopefully if you're an ohio state buckeyes fan you want you you know you're going to need to have that resolved because hartman's going to keep that team in the game so who's yeah, your no, so what's I, your no, I I agree with you on on Hartman and the balance that he brings to to Notre Dame. I mean, I, it's been a long time since we've seen um, them pass to wide receivers. I don't think a tight end had a reception in that game against Navy. <laughs> uh, so so Sam Hartman bringing a, a lot of balance there. Yeah. So what's your second point that that as we enter in, um, you know, the the end of August, early September, heading into Labor Day. Yeah, I'm actually trying to choose between two different ones, and I think I'll have the I think I'll have the opportunity to talk about another one later. So I'm going to say, um, uh, watch Joe Milton at Tennessee. Um, he's one of these guys who has a Jamarcus Russell level arm, and that's why you see some people touting him as being a first round NFL quarterback. But as far the last time I checked, he's lost quarterback battles everyone he's been in until now including losing to Hendon Hooker last year and losing the Michigan job to Cade McNamara so uh, before he transferred to Tennessee it's his job Uh, I'm going to watch him because there's a highly touted the the first player to be associated with millions of dollars in the NIL space was Nico Iamalieva uh, who's now the freshman quarterback at Tennessee so you know if things don't go well and Joe Milton continues to be this physical specimen that can't put it all together, then the crowd is going to be calling for Nico Iamalieva. Now, obviously, um, just like most uh, uh, big schools, they have kind of these glorified scrimmages to start off the season. And so uh, Milton should be fine, but he should be fine. I, I think that's what we're looking for to make sure that he can put it together in Josh Heupel's system, uh, this high-flying Art Bryles um uh system so um that is the that's the other thing i just kind of want to check here in week one awesome awesome so who are who are some college football players under the radar for you you know that that you're looking at that haven't emerged yet but you're thinking these are folks that your campus to canton leagues either going to be people are going to be crowing about a little bit or people who are you know casual college fans are going who was that? And this is exciting. This is the third storyline that I wanted to talk about, and I'll get the opportunity to talk about it here. Mr. Waldman, your Georgia Bulldogs there. Um, they've lost Branson Robinson to a torn patella. Kendall Milton, I think, has hamstring injuries uh, the, in the running back room. And then Dejon Edwards, I believe, is also suffering from, from an injury. They've had to elevate walk-ons to give um, first-team reps to. But 
That means that this three-star from last year's class who tore his ACL coming out of Dallas Paris Episcopal High School in the uh, Texas Association of Private and Parochial Schools division, that's the same division that Deion Sanders and Shadour Sanders came from before they went to Jackson State, uh, that division. There's a running back there named um, Andrew Paul. Five foot 11, 220 pounds, who we saw uh, with like a 21.5 mile per hour um, mile per hour time in in his high school tape just an explosive player who ran for 2500 yards i think it was the most in the country it is texas high school football that particular division is considered a weaker division within texas high school football nonetheless he looks like an nfl player when you look at him uh going into his senior year i think yeah even into the season he had like one F, he had one FCS offer. You get into the middle of the season, it's everybody who's offered him. Michigan, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, everybody comes calling because of this explosive final season that he had um, at, at uh, Dallas Parish Episcopal. Well, lo and behold, last year it looked like he was he was pressing Branson Robinson, the highly touted freshman. Wow. Now Branson Robinson is out of the picture, unfortunately, due to to injury. It doesn't look like Kendall Milton is going to be ready. It doesn't look like Dejon Edwards is going to be ready. Oh, wait a minute. Who's the guy that's left standing who's healthy? It's this three-star, this big, fast three-star from uh, Dallas Parish Episcopal. So how does – well, one, does Andrew Paul, is he the starting running? That would be just nuts to me if this three-star running back who didn't even have an offer from Georgia going into his senior year, now he's going to start game one potentially. Um, that's a, definitely an under-radar p- player because he's had so many uh, more highly touted players in front of him. So Georgia week one, uh, you got to talk about Andrew Paul as being an under-the-radar player. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's a very cool, um, and especially behind a, a team like Georgia with that surrounding talent, you can plug some players in who may not be like, who who may have been bigger names at other schools, but they can come right in and and produce behind a line, you know, or you know, with a defense like Georgia's as well. So it, that's that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good get right there. Um, you know, I want to mention this. Um, one thing that is new, that it's going to be new with the show on a weekly basis or when we do this every other week is we're going to have we're going to have a segment with a, a guest who's going to provide us a little bit of um, information, not only from, you know, on players like that we like to talk about, but also guys from the trenches. And that's going to be a guy who's going to be contributing at the RSP site by the name of Kyrie Demos. And, and Kyrie is a former offensive lineman at Buffalo who used to have to face off with Khalil Mack in practice. Um, he's written for the Buffalo Bills website. Um, and, you know, I'm really excited about him contributing to the RSB site. He's going to be joining us for a segment, um, you know, that's going to be discussing more about the college game. And we look forward to that. That's going to start in a couple weeks the next you know, when we, you know, when we convene next time. Um, but, um, you know, with that in mind, you know, and, you know, I look at, I want to call Kyrie kind of a sleeper because I think we're going to see him emerge <laughs> in terms of the space of what we have going on, um, you know, it, you know, this season. But who's someone that, who's another person that would, that hits your list, you know? Yeah, I think I'm going to continue. One, I'm going to continue to have a Georgia theme here, and I'm going to continue with running backs who are being elevated because of something that happened in the running back room. So if you haven't been following college football, there's been this betting scandal throughout the state of Iowa between both Iowa and Iowa State where uh, players have been charged with some gambling-related crimes and are away from the team that includes Iowa state where both their quarterback, their projected starting quarterback, Hunter Deckers and their projected starting running back, Jareel Brock are gone. So here's the Georgia angle. Um, the projected starter now with Brock gone is Ware County alumni, uh, Cartavius Norton, Cartavius Norton, who, um, 
Oh, I forgot what the college football, the Bill Connolly. Bill Connolly had projected as a starter last year as a true freshman, but he tore hit or he had a hands, a really severe hamstring injury, like right when he was going to start getting going. And, uh, and that kind of derailed him. Well, he's clearly going to be the guy who carries the load this year. And we know that Matt Campbell likes a certain type at running back. He's had David Montgomery there. He's had Brees Hall there. And we all kind of thought that Cartavius Norton would be the next kind of guy. Uh, played, again, at Ware County with Thomas Castellanos, who's now the second-string quarterback at Boston College. Just a really exciting duo uh, there. Um, and so as far as under the radar goes, I think this is a guy that is lower. You know, I think he was a three- or four-star recruit, so not some five-star guy that we really liked, that we thought could uh, 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 play in year one, got injured. Well, now the backfield is going to be to himself. Not only the backfield, but the the they might have a true freshman starting at quarterbacks. If that's the case, I'm going to turn around and hand it to my 220-pound back and run the ball a lot. So Cartavius Norton, Iowa State, who's under the radar, but because of those gambling allegations, he's probably going to be the clear guy. So, And I know Mr. Waldman likes running backs. Mr. Waldman's from Georgia. Why not give him two Georgia running backs here to start things off? See, look at that. Playing to the crowd already. You know, I would, you know, I, I think, I don't know if LaDamian Webb is a, is a sleeper. But, I, you know, I mentioned him on our other show just in passing. But I watched this kid, 57208. He can run zone. He can run gap. I watched him. Do pretty pretty well at South Alabama against UCLA last season. He can catch the ball. He runs through you. He will definitely break tackles, and he's got that nice movement. He can pair moves together where he's got that nice stick and spin in the middle of the crease where he can he can really set you up, and you've got to wrap and hit to bring this guy down with that low center of gravity. So I don't know if he's a a highly known player because you know from a campus to canton standpoint but i'd have to imagine that he was reasonably well known early in his career went juco and then maybe his stock dropped after that but i wouldn't be surprised if he's a he's a guy that kind of emerges as a uh a kind of more of a compelling sleeper on the draft set you know like once we get into late december early january so damian webb um, yes, he is a guy that's about, that's the great thing about campus to Canton is you have these guys like, you know, uh, Nicholas Singleton, who's projected to be, you know, first or second round draft pick, but there's value in these, um, G5 players who produce on the college side, get a lot of points. And you have Mr. Waldman telling, Hey, this is somebody who might have NFL potential. I just wanted to look at our weekly, uh, CFF rankings for week one and Ladamian Webb is in the top 20 and he's projected for 18.8 points this week. That's a good wow. running back. Yeah. This week, so, yeah. We're, we're starting him in C2Cs. That's awesome. How about, um, how about Nakia Watson? Our, Nakia Watson transfer from uh, what? Wisconsin, Wisconsin now yeah. at Washington state. This is the thing about Nakia Watson is we've seen these Washington State running backs over the years, whether it be Booby Williams or uh, who was the guy that they were trying to compare to to Christian McCaffrey, the running back there. I cannot remember his name. Yeah. So I think that there's some natural skepticism for running backs running backs from Washington State, given his predecessors. But I've, I've gotten Akia Watson in a couple of places, and I like there's a diminutive backup Oh, what's his name? I cannot remember. His, I will remember his name because yeah. I have lost it somewhere. But there's a good – he has a, a true sophomore behind him who's going to be an ex excellent player in his own right. I do not know about Nakia Watson's NFL potential, but I have him in my starting lineups um, uh, on the on the college side of my campus to campus. Yeah, there's, there's some skills to that kid. Like, I, I think that – I, I, I like I would like to joke as a former Big Ten fan that you know who probably wasn't a fan of Wisconsin players that if you're gonna just like helmet scout or logo scout that you could say Nakia Watson didn't fit Wisconsin and that's a bad thing for Wisconsin um, not necessarily a bad thing for Nakia Watson um, you know I I would say that you know his pass catching skills and his ability to make the first man miss are you know 
really um, fairly notable. I And I think that there's some inside running skills that I want to see a little bit more from his game in that respect. But uh, but he's someone I'm kind of keeping an eye out for. Max Borgie is the name. That Max Borgie, there you go. Yeah, I never was a Max Borgie fan, to be honest. That was, that was one that puzzled me. Um, it kind of puzzled me the same way that the Trey McBride, not Trey McBride, the McBride kid out of um, out of um, who went to Minnesota and just got cut today. Dwayne, uh, Dwayne, Dwayne. McBride. Yeah, I didn't really understand the Dwayne McBride hype. Like that one was like, you like them? There you go. I, it's all right. It happens. You know. Look, I like I I still like Trey Sermon and still don't understand what's going on. And everyone's probably laughing about that. But you know, that's the way it goes. Um, you know, so we, uh, you know, th- those are a couple guys that certainly fit the bill. Anybody else that fit the bill for you? As far as under the radar players, I mean, I, we can do this all day. I don't know how do long. Do one more. Let's do one more. So let's go to the quarterback position then. Okay. Um, and I'm going to, this is, goes into another week one storyline because Washington, the Washington Huskies are considered a playoff contender. There are a couple of guys uh, on that team that could end up on your dynasty fantasy football rosters. I think Michael Penix Jr. is a you know day two potential uh, draft pick. But there's also two wide receivers there, Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan. Roma Dunze is the outside guy. Jalen McMillan is the slot guy. That's not who I want to talk about, though. Washington is taking on Boise State in an interesting interconference matchup. And Taylon Green, the quarterback for Boise State, is going to be one of the more fun players to watch this season. He's like six foot six, two hundred and ten pounds. He's he he's he's a dual threat. He started as a redshirt freshman last year, including in the Mountain West Championship game against my boy uh, Jay Kaner in Fresno State. He is like the new G five Mountain West quarterback to watch, in my opinion. Again, he's got a lot of length. He doesn't look like he's moving really fast, but those are some really long steps that he's taking. Um, last year. There were instances where, as a passer, he looked completely lost. And what I mean by that is, is um, when a quarterback is rolling out, you know, the picture of the defense doesn't really change a lot because you have a lot of time to look and see. It's not like you're doing uh, one through three, one, two, three, and throw. Like on these off script plays where you're um, uh, breaking the play and rolling out, you have a lot of time to look. Where I've seen instances where he has all of that time to analyze where players are, and he just throws it right to a quarterback. I'm like, that's more concerning to me when you're rolling out as opposed to when you're just taking the three-step drop and throwing it because the when you're rolling out, the picture didn't change as much. So what, like, did you just think you were wearing the wrong color? So, but Taylor, he, last year was his first year start, it was for his first year as a starter. You know, he he has the tools to be a really high-end college quarterback and a really exciting quarterback. Takes on this high-flying Washington team. I bet you Washington, somebody can go look it up right now. I would expect Washington is a 15-point favorite. I think that they'll cover. But Taylor Green is a guy that we're going to watch throughout the Mountain West, and then when we get to New Year's Six Bowls and they're taking on, you know, Michigan State in a bowl game or something, and they beat Michigan State. Like, how did they do that? Well, it's because this guy developed throughout the season in his second year as a full-time starter. Very exciting player. So go ahead and watch Taylor Green at Boise State. Boise State, by the way, that produced um, uh, Dante Pettis, Titus Young, Kellen Moore. Uh, there are probably uh, Doug Doug Martin. I mean, uh, yeah. there are a bunch of players from from Boise State who've been relevant over the years. Absolutely. You know, we got Khalil Shakir. Certainly another one who's going to get an opportunity there. And we got the quarterback. I'm trying to remember what his name is that Mark Schofield was always a stand for who had a really nice drop back game. But I can't remember his name right off that. But uh, but we'll we'll get into that in a, in a minute here. But, the, you know, that that's a let's talk a little bit about NFL, you, you know, and uh, Brett Rippon was the guy. That was the name, Brett Rippon. But I, I want to talk a little bit about now that the preseason is nearing its end. I want to talk about things that are when you look at those highlights of players, go back and look at some of these things. You know, what's a mirage maybe for, you know, that has people excited about a player based on what they've seen in highlights and what may be a real oasis, something that you can use as a resource. 
And we're going to talk first about some of the mirages. And I'm going to have four for you that I think are worthwhile to remember either when you're looking at videos now or whether you start next year and look at the preseason next year if your drafts are mostly over. One of the things is, is when people talk about quarterback decision-making or they're throwing mechanics in, in the preseason. Because right now, opposing defenses aren't playing a lot of sophisticated schemes in the preseason. Their top players aren't playing for extended periods of time to bait and switch quarterbacks with different looks and playing them at an expert level. You know, you don't have, you don't, you know, I'm giving a, a, a retired player as an example, but you don't have, you know, there's players who can do some of the, some of the things that Ed Reed could do, you know, to show you one look and then turn around and make it completely turn out that it's completely different of what he's selling. You know, there are a lot of players in the league who can mess with you that way, whether it's on the lineman on the, along the line or whether it's a linebacker showing a blitz or, you know, or how these veterans read your body language and destroy a play because you've been given a tell that you didn't even realize. So when people talk about quarterback decision-making during the preseason, I, I, that's not the time I'm looking at that because that can be a false positive um, uh, in a big way. Um, I would say then also throwing mechanics is the same thing because if there's a play, a lot of people ask me this with Anthony Richardson. Well, I want to see whether his lead foot is, is in the ground and you can tell they've watched all these clips with either QB school or somebody else who does great work and talking about the mechanics of quarterback um, technique. And that's great. Now they may have improved from what they did, what Anthony Richardson did at Florida last year. But again, when I watch players who've shown improvement in the preseason, I still think of another Florida player, Tim Tebow, where he would show improvement in the preseason. And then when those complex defenses come or he gets hit hard a few times by some blitzers um, that he didn't expect coming, or the defense has really gotten a run on him over a period of plays, guess what usually happens to most players? They revert back to their bad habits because now they're thinking rather than just reacting. And it takes a while for those mechanics to really be intact. So I'm I'm more, I'm a little leerier about, oh, his mechanics look good on this, you know, on this particular play in the preseason against a vanilla defense. You know, I'm waiting to see how they show up in, um, I don't want to say trauma-like situations, but, you know, when things, are, things aren't going well. Because when things aren't going well, that's when you see how consistent they are. I just want to give an example of what it is that you're talking about. So, I mean, I didn't play at the NFL level, but definitely uh, in college, um, when we got to the spring game, we would play man, cover two, and cover three, and that's it. And we wouldn't blitz. We wouldn't disguise, anything like that. When I say disguise, I mean, if you're playing cover three, there's one safety that's going to spin down. Now, you'll see it in the NFL where that it can look like it's cover two, and it looks like cover two until the ball is actually snapped and one safety actually comes down. And then you got the free safety. Like, somebody like Ed Reed can cover so much territory, so they can stay on that hash and then go cover the middle after the ball is snapped. And it's just little things like that. Or in, in you know, we would do a cover two alignment. We wouldn't do, we would do, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of something else. We would show like a man alignment uh, if we were in a game and it would actually be, you know, cover three or cover two or cover four, whatever it was. Um, we just, when, it, when, when we did the spring game and we were practicing and we wouldn't, do any of that disguising that stuff but when it came to the game obviously you're going to get fired your, your fire zones where that fourth rusher is going to come from somewhere else and you might have a defensive lineman back up your safeties are not going to telegraph what it is um that you're you're doing just by looking whether it's middle field open middle field close not all the time so yeah there's little things that you you got to pick up and that's how that's how i mean we don't defend defenders. We don't get the ball, so that's how we get to have fun. Is 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 disguising what the defense actually is pre-snap, without a doubt. And you know, then you're we didn't even get into like hybrid coverages where one side of the field may look like they're playing a zone, and the other side is playing man. And and there's little, and then maybe they show something that looks like it might be that, 
as a early pre-snap tell and it turns out they're disguising that and it might be the opposite of what you're looking at and there aren't a lot of teams in the in the college game that do that level of hybrid coverage looks to where Peyton and his brother might be on a on a Monday night show and they're going I think that might be this but they're both kind of still trying to ferret it out well after the play is over because they can't really quite tell themselves you know when you know hybrid coverages are can be that complex where you're in theory it might be this but we don't know unless we ask the players you know so that kind of thing is is an issue um another one is with wide receivers and tight ends and that's seen them operate versus zone coverage you know a good example of that is calvin austin uh, or calvin watkins excuse me who performed really well in the preseason but just got cut by cleveland today um a lot of the looks that you saw were either against, you know, cornerbacks playing off and outside and giving the inside up or him working a lot of zone. Um, and he's making big plays and getting a lot of yards, and that's exciting. But at the end of the day, um, you know, when getting open against zone is easier than getting open against man, unless you're the slot receiver who's supposed to be make understand a lot of the different defensive looks and calls and being on the same page as your quarterback if your quarterback's a hyperactive um kind of coach on the field type like aaron Rodgers or or you know tom brady or peyton manning players like that um burrow probably to that extent you're you know those types of things where they're playing that that chess match and you've got to be in their head on that level so zone coverage it's nice and it's important but it's still like if they're making the bulk of their plays off of that, you're not really seeing a test. Um, and, I, and I would say the same thing is true with man-to-man plays that are fade routes. Um, you know, they're impressive. They're eye candy. We love seeing guys who can go up and win it. But we're not really seeing route running skills at the highest level. Um, you know, we're seeing some impressive things about turning, going up and attacking and winning the football but we're not seeing the setups and the myriad of ways that they read a defender and react to defender and how well they can manipulate a defender just on a fade route by itself. So if you're seeing a steady diet of fades, Romeo dubs from, you know, last year, maybe you need to see more than just the, 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 the pretty fade route there. Um, and then I would say the same thing is true of schemed plays. You know, I talk about matchup plays versus scheme plays. Matchup plays to me are, one-on-one opportunities or plays against zone where the zone is rolled over against you and you have to kind of find the window against multiple defenders who are who are really making you the priority or one-on-one against the defender who may have the boundary as their aid and not you know a one-on-one where you have a two-way go where you're actually having to they know where you're going they have an advantage of how to guard you and you still have to win it and it's a third and 12 you know you got to get those 12 you know those are matchup plays scheme plays are what i would call gabriel davis plays where you have a play action um, misdirection play gabriel davis sneaks out of the out of the backfield and he's wide open enough in the flat for a touchdown you know a lot was done to get gabriel davis open easily on that play and i'm picking on davis there i mean he's certainly a capable nfl player but a lot of his plays that are either scheme plays or he's the third option running down the field beating the defense um who can't stretch the field you know we're not going to be able to stay in coverage long enough unless they can sack they get that sack at 2.5 seconds of josh allen and when that doesn't happen you have that kansas city chiefs playoff game where davis went off on them because allen continued to find get stay alive to find that third option so you know you you got players like that and they can be very effective for you but again you know when you see a bulk of plays that are just design screens design throwbacks you know um trick plays gadget plays things that all the forces of the offense are designed to to really set things up so that you have an open space to catch the ball and run you're being schemed open and a lot of you know even your best players get those plays but if the majority if a higher percentage of your plays are scheme plays then um then 
you know, matchup plays, that may be something you got to go. That could be a mirage with that player. I think of the Justin Jefferson, that fourth down catch against the Bills as a matchup play. He's like, all right, well, yeah, <laughs> it's going to, uh, I don't even know what number. No, I don't even know what number Justin Jefferson is, but whatever. We're throwing the ball, and everybody in the stadium knows it's it's going. Yeah, it's like Stefan Diggs in the same game. I mean, the the play I described with with um, Gabriel Davis came against the Rams in the opener. Later in that game, there was like a third and fifteen, I think, where they Jalen Ramsey's on Stefan Diggs, and it's basically an out route. He knew it was coming. They threw it anyway, and he still got open and, and made the catch. That's a matchup play, you know. You know, if you're an older, if you're an older uh, listener, and you remember Matt Ryan, Roddy White, Roddy White was a matchup player to where Matt Ryan could throw third and seventeen comebacks to the opposite side of the field, and and White was getting double covered and still making catches. That's matchup. That's matchup skill. So, you know, when we talk about oasis, like things you can like actually say is a resource for you to 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 actually continue traveling down the road and getting good players. You know, I would say hard yards by running backs is a good example of that, meaning that the defense is either stacked against them or somebody gets free on a block, penetration into the backfield, something screwed up about the run design, and the running back is still able to get you know, turn lemons into lemonade, you know, turn a loss into a short game or a loss into a no game or turn it into a big one, you know, but what you want to see is someone who understands the blocking scheme and doesn't take too many risks and someone who also can create and understand, you know, when to take the risk, when not to take the risk. Um, Because, you know, when we watch, when we watch some players get like, you know, easy bounce outs, like Tank Bigsby, Tank Bigsby could wind up being a good player. Um, no doubt that he has a lot of that capability. But what I've seen thus far in games is the yards that have come have been toss plays. Guess what Tank Bigsby did really well at Auburn? Toss plays. Plays out on the perimeter. I've seen some runs where he worked up the middle and he ran hard. In, in you know in Jacksonville so far but they've been pretty big creases what I've always had questions about with Tank Bigsby were the hard yards can he get the hard yards and be disciplined and make the good decisions so far I haven't seen any evidence that shows he's developed that skill just yet now I know Dearness Johnson can get hard yards um, and I won't be surprised if Tank Bigsby you know, continues to grow in, at a level where he he's the second leading ball carrier on this club. But I also can tell you that if he's not getting the hard yards, we might see Dearness Johnson leapfrog him by midseason if that doesn't happen. So that's an example of hard yards. Um, technically sound routes and and hands by receivers and tight ends. You know, to me, the technically sound route. I want to see receivers who can beat press who show excellent movement that's efficient to to be able to move a defender in, in the wrong direction you know being able good footwork being able to drop their weight and make crisp turns being able to come back to the ball being able to attack the ball early use the correct hands position not you know and we could get into the whole michael irvin thing that people have been asking me about all day um you know but the you know, using using the the optimal hands techniques um, to attack the football, and you know, a good example of a player who I think has shown technically sound routes, even though you know, and and, and hands is Dalton Kincaid. I, watching Dalton Kincaid, even if he's facing two way goes, where he's in a situation where he has a two way goal, which is advantageous to the offensive player, heavily weighted in their direction. Didn't matter because when you watch the way he ran the route, I don't care who was covering him outside of a Hall of Fame cornerback. Um, he was probably going to win those routes. They were that well performed. Um, so that's a part of scouting is that to me, if you're, if you can X out everything but what the player's doing 
and be able to pinpoint the techniques that they can do to put themselves in a winning situation regardless of who was or what the situation was and you can see evidence that points to the positive in that in that way that's that's something you should be looking for when you're scouting talent so i'd say technically sound routes are part of that um you know and and good hands i mean romeo dubs kept making big plays big plays after big plays last year and but at the same time watching him in the 49ers preseason game a couple other preseason games the hands weren't quite there you know and there were some drops when he had to face more difficult situations just like there were at nevada doesn't mean he's a bad player just meant that okay let's slow our roll a little bit you know at this point maybe he's still not quite where the hype is is leading people towards um maybe it'll get better this year um and then i would say pass placement to a certain degree is valuable um because whether it's caught or not if the ball is placed in the in the, the right area you know that tells you that tells you a good bit about the quarterback in terms of their thinking what they're what they're seeing with coverage how they're reading the leverage and how they're executing um so i you know i, I like looking at pass placement and then i would say pocket movement for quarterbacks same thing like you know you, you're gonna have more complex blitzes and you're and certainly they're gonna be more confusing things happening with coverage that may impact how you move because you're overthinking um while you're dropping back and then suddenly maybe you're not quite aware of the pocket in the way that you used to be um but to a certain degree um if a player's moving well in the pocket and he's a young player that tells me that the game's not moving so fast for him that he can't keep up so that tells me that he's feeling comfortable at least with what he's seen thus far and he has a fighting chance to build on that yeah, that last one was about Anthony Richardson. I mean, he had he was dead to rights in one of those, uh, uh, and you know, kind of spun out of that tackle and got two or three yards. But it's the same thing we saw from him uh, at at Florida. There was a, a number of those plays where um, he's able to keep, keep keep his composure when the pocket is bearing down on not only when the pocket is bearing down on him when defenders actually have their hands uh, on him. I think I should I could come up with a list of these things um, from a like a college evaluation perspective that things that just I don't give a lot of credit to it's funny that you mentioned um, the contested catch go routes because the because defenses are so vanilla defenses are often uh, for those who don't know oftentimes like an automatic conversion for wide receiver and press is just you just run the go route so if you like it's just an automatic so like you know to the to the extent these coaches want to see um that sort of matchup and how well this cornerback will can compete, et cetera, et cetera. That line up and press one high, like we know where the ball is going to go, like we want to see them compete. Um, it's not necessarily indicative to what translates. And it's funny because um, in the spring of 2021, uh, uh, Alabama had three really highly touted wide receivers, only one of which is with the team now, Ja'Cory Brooks. Another was, you know, one of these bigger possession wide receivers, a guy Hall. And what did he do? What did he do in that first spring game? Two long contested catches. And I'm like, tells me very little. <laughs> tells me very little about this player. Um, and we've all value. fallen for it as fantasy players. I mean, you have to go through that stage of like education, and some people just never move past that. Yeah, um, it's his value skyrocketed a bunch because of those two catches. And I, I mean, I really could, um, when I'm watching high school players throwing, um, open go routes to the boundary, you know, where a guy has five yards of separation. I'm like, well, I, there, I'm not, there's no, I mean, I, there, I can't yeah. give you credit for that because I would expect, you know, most quarterbacks, even in high school to make that throw. So there are a number of things. Yeah. I, I do that for next week. Cause that would be that would be excellent especially for folks because folks who are listening to this obviously are interested in you know the Devi side of things to know, understand like they're going to go back they're looking at college tape or huddle tape now at this point and and thinking okay how do i discern what's what's college ready and what's not so that'd be great one of the reasons why quinn ewers one of the highly most highly touted um 
quarterback recruits in the last 10 years or so, even more so than Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. When I watched his high school tape, I see a halo around him as far as protection. I'm talking about nobody within six yards of him. He's got like three seconds to throw, and his wide receivers are wide open. That's now. If you, I want to see quarterbacks to make the easy plays consistently, but to see what you're made of, I, I have to see you face some sort of adversity, make some difficult throws when things aren't your way. And so I actually look for those. And if they aren't there, it doesn't mean that the player can't do it. It's just, well, I can't. I mean, I don't know that he can do it because he wasn't asked to. Yeah. You know, they were just that much better than the than the teams that they played against. So there are a lot of question marks there. So um, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because there have been a couple of highly touted quarterbacks who had all – there weren't difficult throws on their tape. There wasn't difficult situations in the pocket. I'm like – and Quinn Ewers was one, Sam Heward. Uh, one of the of the Heward family, the NFL family. He was another one yeah, at Washington. He's now at Sacramento State. I'm like, I don't – there's nothing here that tells me what skills this guy has. I mean, yes, you threw it 40 yards down the field. You hit an open wide receiver on a go route when you knew it, you know, like there was no disguising of the coverage. You didn't fit it into a window. The, the guy had four yards of separation. I mean – Lots of people listening to this podcast can complete that pass. So, um, yeah, no, it's a good – you're making some good points, Matt. Well, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing more of yours. That, that'll that give me some good ideas also when I start looking at Debbie Tape because I know in one – there's one league I'm in for sure, and there'll be two coming up down the line where uh, I'm going to need to start getting a little bit of a jump on these guys, even if I'm just watching some highlights um, you, you know, and not going through the rigorous process that I do for college to pro. Um, you know, let's end this with some college prospects from past, whether it's recent past or distant past, where we were just over the moon about what they were going to do. And we can talk about the ones that hit that you know met expectations as well as guys that didn't meet expectations and i think a guy that right off the bat to me that i was over the moon about recently and just didn't work out was dante pettis i you know i thought dante pettis had a chance to be kind of like brandon lloyd in terms of like contested catch skill not super fast, but really savvy with his movement to get people off their spot. Great runner after the catch, you know, punt return skills. So you knew he was going to be good in the open field. And it certainly looked promising for him at the end of year one with the 49ers, even though it wasn't like he had a complete game there. It just looked like that there were moments that you could say, yeah, this guy's going to be a playmaker. And then it just all fell apart. You know, it, it fell apart where like Kyle Shanahan even said, look, this guy could be one of the best receivers in the league if he puts his mind to it and he works at it. And it just sounds like he didn't work at it. You know, it sounds like from what I'm seeing, he's a player who's good enough to be in the league, but isn't driven enough to be a top tier starter like he's talented enough to join a team and provide uh, a contribution off the bench or as a reserve but the but whatever it is the the it, whether it's you know the desire the ambition um the interest in other things and that's okay he doesn't want to be great at what he does he's great at he was a great, he's a great football player by college football standards, but he didn't turn out to be that other thing. And that's something where, and I'll definitely talk about some players that I just didn't see, that I didn't, that I feel like I misevaluated based on my own, um, based on my own system. But this was one that unless I got to interview the kid, I wasn't going to see coming. Yeah, now let's just do you know, two degrees of separation. Dante Pettis's brother played with uh, Austin Pettis, played at Boise State with Titus Young, who was another second-round draft pick of the Detroit Lions, had that rookie year in 2011 where he was third fiddle to Nate Burleson and Calvin Johnson and was an excellent 
weapon and uh, just kind of he this he wasn't even on my list actually, um, but he was an excellent weapon, a third uh, uh, third receiving option there. Looked to be next up behind Nate Burleson who would pair with Calvin Johnson and just had some mental health issues and struggles and could not could not turn them around. But, I mean, you talk about guys who – I don't even know if, if, if Titus Young was taken in the second round. He might have been a later round pick than that. But just an excellent freshman season. who kind of could play inside and play outside. And I remember they were scheming up routes for him um, – uh, at in the red zone, you know they would be at the three and they would throw him um, uh, outs and like really difficult, high difficulty throws. But they had trust in him. So I mean, because since you mentioned Dante Pettis, uh, or excuse me, yes, Dante yeah. Pettis, Austin Pettis, I believe is his brother. Yeah, and then I have to mention Titus Young. Um, yeah, I gotta gotta mention Titus Young. Yeah, absolutely. Another. We'll stick with receivers. Um, you know, we'll have to talk about Hakeem Butler. Um, you know, certainly, I think if there's a player that I missed on based on how I evaluated the player and what I missed was probably, you know, a couple of things. Um, the nuance of route skills that he would need to have to be a, a strong NFL player and the consistency of his hands. Um and obviously the consistency of his hands was an issue and then it looks like the same thing has to do probably with routes in terms of how versatile or lack of versatility that he has to offer um and i you know he tore up the the usfl or is it the xfl he tore up the xfl um this past year as a big slot receiver um and you know didn't make the steelers team now steelers have a pretty good set of wide receivers and young talent and they brought in Allen Robinson who is still a capable player to play in the slot um, but it didn't it, you know he was up and down in camp catching the football um, and when one of the things with Butler and Pettis that they that I hadn't that was well not that I don't have anything in common with those two guys other than I missed on them but the with Pettis I would say that misses more due to off-field things that I, I don't have the resources to study to the degree that I did um, that I do with on-field work, you know, unless I have a team of investigators or an industrial psychologist, or I can literally interview these players. And I'm not saying journalist interview. I'm talking like real job interview type of stuff, you know, um, not going to happen. But with Butler, this was, I, I studied him before, I believe I really started implementing a lot of um you know you know coach lieberman drew lieberman's um you know techniques for coaching receivers and you can find drew lieberman's work at the sideline hustle um for a while on my board back here was literally notes just that covered the entire back wall from his youtube channel along with um, Jay Norvell's book on, on coaching wide receivers and he coached Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison a lot of the Colts players um, Oklahoma receivers who went on to the NFL, Mark Clayton guys like that You know, he knew a thing or two about coaching wide receivers and I flooded this board with all that information for a couple of years and figured out how I wanted to grade the minutia of releases the release types with hands and footwork, the, how you attack the football, things that I talk about a lot that seems to resonate, especially in the fantasy community of people who reference me a lot now about that. I got all that from Drew, who's been on my shows multiple times, um, you know, for, you know, talking about, you know, players he's worked with, you know, and he's, you know, some of his clients include um, Evan Ingram, who just before his contract year last year, he, working on catching the ball, something that he had some issues with. Um, Damier Bird and Olamide Zacchaeus. Um, Edelman, he's Mohamed Sanu. Um, you know, Dontavian Wicks is a player that he's worked with. Juwan Winfrey, guys who are on the, getting on the verge to get drafted, but also guys who've been starters in the league. You know, he's had his range of guys. And if you go on there on his site, he also interviews, you know, top players like, 
you know, Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams. His work's great. And he's down here in Atlanta right now. He's moved. He was a former assistant wide receiver coach at Rutgers and a, and a coach at Wesleyan. Um, and he's regarded in this community as a receiver's coach to work with. And before, you know, those things that I'm, all that minutia, you know, those were things that I hadn't implemented yet when I watched Hakeem Butler. And I, I think I just missed enough with his hands techniques and his catching of the ball that it wasn't as consistent as it needed to be. The routes weren't quite there. I probably would have had a much lower grade on him if I went back and looked at that tape. But I may go do that at some point just to see if I can um, access enough to see if I would if I would see it differently. Not that it's going to really matter much because I've already changed my system at that point, you know, and gone around there. But he was a guy that, you know, I was hopeful that maybe just because what I didn't, what we didn't see, we haven't seen him in games, that maybe it was just a dysfunctional Cardinals team. And maybe he just slipped through the cracks because sometimes players do that. And then he gets labeled and then he gets slips through. You know, Raheem Mostert slipped through a lot of cracks, about seven different cracks before he ended up having some, you know, a couple of big years. Um, so it can happen, even though it's the exception to the rule. But yeah, Butler's certainly high on my list. It's funny that you mentioned Jay Norvell. And because um, you, you threw out Evan Ingram's name and he's on my list. Coming out of Ole Miss, there have been so many tight ends that I thought would kind of revolutionize that position, kind of the way Michael Vick or Randall Cunningham did the quarterback position. I thought Evan Ingram was one. I thought Vernon Davis was one. I know people think that um, uh, Kyle Pitts is one, but when we saw this kind of big slot wide receiver who can play wide receiver snaps and then, you know, line up in line if you wanted him to, to call him a tight end, I just thought that, this is a guy who's going to catch 80 balls a year, be a ma uh, a, a uh, mismatch for linebackers or safeties trying to guard him. He would be too agile for uh, uh, these linebackers, too fast for any safeties that tried to to guard him. And especially if you remember the way Evan Ingram's rookie career, rookie uh, season started, uh, his rookie his rookie year. I mean, he I think he he made him broke the or he had, was more productive than it I, I can't remember exactly he had a very good rookie year and then never really capitalized on it thereafter and you know I just distinctly remember him catching passes from our boy Chad Kelly at at Old Miss and I actually thought I actually thought both of them would be you know uh real game changers um uh in the NFL and Evan Ingram to his credit had a really good season last year but I think when he was drafted in the first round with that tight end class of O.J. Howard, David Njoku, and himself all in the first round, I think a lot of us thought that um, those three had really, really high ceilings because of how athletic they were. And, you know, Evan Ingram was probably the most athletic out of all of them. And I even, speaking of preseason, I re even remember um, him running some sort of double move from the slot in the preseason with the Giants. And I'm like, oh, yep, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. He doesn't look like a tight end. He looks like a wide receiver. And it just never really panned out um, that way, even though he's still a, you know, a really good and productive player, but not one that has ch ch changed um, like whether or not kids at that size play tight end now. He, he hasn't been that type of player. Yeah, and if we're going to talk about players that I thought would – be generational talents like that Reggie Bush I was over the moon about Reggie Bush and I Reggie Bush had a good career he had a good NFL career but I didn't I felt like Reggie Bush at USC look what played like the running back that you wanted to see in the NFL when he got to the Saints he looked like the running back who felt like he had to carry the team on his shoulders and was trying to make, he was making very risky decisions, trying to get huge home run breakaway plays almost on every carry early in his career. And he didn't do that at USC if I, from what I remember. Now that might be biased on my because I haven't gone back to watch him. And it was, you know, one of the first years I did the RSP. 
So it could very well be that I don't remember it accurately. But what I remember with Reggie Bush was carving an S through the secondary and going, you know, that's one thing. But he wasn't trying to carve an S behind the line of scrimmage the way he was doing, you know, in New Orleans. And that's that was the difference that was kind of a bad difference. And then once he got banged up and he had to change his game a little bit to, like, run a little tougher, and he did. He did great in Miami from, from that perspective. But I thought this was going to be the next closest thing to Gale Sayers that we have ever seen. And that was probably youthful enthusiasm to a fault on my end, you know, in terms of guys that, you know, not a bad career, but not a, oh my God, he's a top three pick overall and he's going to be a Ladanian Tomlinson, Marshall Falk-esque type of talent. I mean, I think everyone's right there with you. I mean, I, I think that everyone is right there with you. And part of his good career was uh, spent with my Detroit Lions, a playoff team in 2014. So I'm appreciative to him for that. I'm going to give you uh, I want to give you two to make sure I get them in because I, I have no idea when you're going to end the show. So I'm going to make sure I get these. No, get it. your two in, man. Do it. So um, we got to mention Reminder Stevenson. Uh, Reminder Stevenson coming out of Oklahoma. Um, I, I remember seeing this guy who was like, he's just so thick and dense that even without trying, defenders just kind of fall off of him. Um, and he still, he can run with a low center of gravity. He has great hands. And then for his, I mean, even for a smaller back, he has excellent feet, but definitely for his size. I think I, uh, between... The, at the combine, when he weighed in at like 230 or whatever it was, I was ecstatic because I know that that dude played at 250 at Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, he looked like he was 250 pounds, and he came in. You could tell that he was really about his business. Um, and then, you know, has been rewarded for um, his play and – and, and quite frankly, keeping that weight off with the New England Patriots. So Ramondre Stevenson is one. Uh, and you share, you, we share that. I mean, I was sure, – I remember listening to you, you and Mark were, about I know you were over Ramondre the moon about Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, so that's on a good one. And then my last one, I, I have to bring in Michael Vick here. Sure. Um, because of what we saw with him from the Eagles, like that could have been a 15-year career – of that and Michael Vick, he's being interviewed and talked about. I didn't study the way he needed to, or and take care of his body, and was just kind of into the light, nightlife in Atlanta. Being, you know, he was an icon for for several years there. But when I think about well, like what could have been, I mean, I think that there's a chance that Michael Vick still. I mean, he had an MVP. There's a chance that he still gets to the to the Hall of Fame. But there's like that next, you know, ceiling when when Deion Sanders talks about the upper room within the Hall of Fame. I think Michael Vick could have gotten to that sort of level um, had he been with, first of all, had he taken care of his business, had he been with someone like Andy Reid for the entirety of his career. Like, we could have seen that 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 season where he came in on relief in that Monday night game against what the, the uh, Washington team where, you know, he's had seven touchdowns or whatever it was. Like, I think that there's the potential um, for that type of play for uh, – for a longer period of time than we got to see it. I'll still, I'll never forget, you know, there was a long time where you could never go into Green Bay and win, especially in the playoffs, especially in the wintertime. Yep. And this indoor quarterback went into went into Lambeau and beat Brett Favre at Lambeau Field in the playoff. Um, I'll never forget that, but I have to include Michael Vick on this list. No, that makes total sense. You know, look, I could... You know, everyone everyone who listens knows about, you know, how much I love Nick Chubb. I don't have to go into detail about that. Everyone on this show probably knows how much over the moon I was about Patrick Mahomes. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to... I'm just dropping their names only slightly because you mentioned Michael Vick and it hit me that I need to mention just another player that I absolutely whiffed on. Um, and I've pretty much only offered players I've whiffed on 
or missed to some degree tonight. And I'm okay with that. That's cool. But I, I had to mention, I had to name drop the Vic and Mahomes because when I tell you this one, I'm kind of ashamed of it um, to the extent that I am. Because in a league I was in, in one of the first dynasty IDP big roster leagues I was in, I had Michael Vick on my team. And I traded him away for Peanuts and Byron Leftwich. And the league was like, this was an awful trade. But I was, you know, I still fought for it and they let me have it. You know, because I was over the moon about Byron Leftwich. I watched him in a game with David Garrard where the where the Marshall team had to carry him down up and down the field in that shootout. And he just he looked like a Hollywood hero in the way that he played. And I you know, this was before I started evaluating talent. Um, but I was I watched him from highlights. I watched his toughness in his game and I thought this guy this guy has it. This guy is a winner. This guy is a smart quarterback and he was all those things. He just happened to have the Jameis Winston loping drop back that's slow, you know, and the wind up that's slower and you can process as fast as you want, but if your technique doesn't match your processing you're always going to be one step behind or two steps behind and he was kind of like Jameis Winston was a higher evolution level of player on the Byron Leftwich scale Byron Leftwich was probably lower was on the low end of that scale of of a guy in terms of his footwork and all of those things so yeah that was an absolute disaster so and, and I can and you know Look, I've been doing this for well over 20 years now. Um, we're all going to have our hits and misses. This was early on for me, but it, that was probably the worst miss of all time. And the one that I would say to anybody, it's like, if you you got to take chances, but you're going to have big screw-ups. And, and that one is a, a huge one. That's one I've, I don't think I've ever shared with anybody. Um you know, on air, um, but it's about time that I do because, man, yeah, that was awful. <laughs> that was probably right around the time the NFL was like, you know, these pure drop back passers, we don't like them anymore. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do away with that breed of quarterback. <laughs> but on that note, listen, um, we appreciate you uh, tuning in, and as always, you can find Felix Sharp at Sharp Review on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, at Matt Waldman. Go to campus to Canton, sign up, play both sides. There we go. See, I remembered it. No, I don't know what was going on before. I think I had Travion Henderson on the brain. That's probably what it was. Um, but, you know, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. And if you haven't gotten your RSP and you still got some drafts going on, hey, go, go get it. Go check it out. I can tell you right now, I don't think I have any Byron Leftwich-like um, selections this year based on how things are shaping up knock on wood here but uh, i think i'm long past those um though he's made a, a, a an intriguingly good coach um, but i don't study coaches so thanks again mattwaldmanrsb.com and have a good night